My name is Sean, and the pastor here at Grace Church. Glad that you guys uh, took time out of the weekend uh, to, to sing with us and to consider what the Bible would have to say about the way each one of us are to live our lives. Uh, before we get into the teaching, I want to let you guys know about some... Uh, uh, the mission of our church isn't to perpetuate ourselves. The goal has never been to get to a place where we could become financially sustainable. That's, that, that's never been the goal of Grace Church. The goal of Grace Church is to give everybody we know, love, and care about one opportunity to know and follow Jesus in their lifetime. Um, the, the big dream is that nobody in, in southeastern Massachusetts would be more than 10 minutes driving time away from a gospel-centered, Jesus-focused, Bible, Bible-teaching uh, church. And uh, uh, that's, that's a bigger job, like Grace Church all by, just, just this location on 101 Wales Avenue, uh, just meeting here on the weekend isn't going to be enough to do what God's called us to do. Um, I, I, I believe that it is possible for everybody in southeastern Massachusetts to get one opportunity to turn, turn from sin and follow Jesus. But if we're going to do more, than we've ever done, then we're going to have to do things we've never done. Does that make sense? Uh, one of the things I'm really excited about is the ability that we'll have to do, uh, to do more than what I'm, I'm personally capable of doing. Um, we get to leverage technology in a way uh, that hasn't been able to be done uh, in previously uh, in, in church history. Uh, because of video, we're able to add services without uh, this comes at a really great time because you guys, if you've been at Grace Church for a while, you know that two and a half years ago I had throat surgery. Some of those issues are coming back. And uh, so I, I, I don't want to be pulled out of the game. I just want to compensate for my physical weaknesses. And the neat thing is, is that we've got a way to do that. <clears throat> so what we're going to be doing is uh, starting uh, next weekend, uh, and you guys have already, already seen this, is that we're going to be rotating one of the Sunday services each week will be uh, video, and it'll be the same teaching that I'm giving in every other service. It just allows me uh, to take a breather, not overwork my throat. Uh, it also allows us to do more and more areas of southeastern Massachusetts. Um, we, we get to try some things that are working in the rest of the country and even around the world uh, by doing video teaching. Uh, we might be able to take uh, Grace Church to a town that's closer to where you live. It would still be Grace Church, it's us. And then I could be in more places than, uh, than what I'm capable. I could be in more than one place at, at, at one time. You know what I mean? So we could take a group of people who from Grace Church who are driving 20, 30 minutes away whose neighbors wouldn't drive 20, 30 minutes to hear, it doesn't, doesn't matter what's happening at Grace Church because they're not excited about their relationship with God yet. They wouldn't make that drive. We, we could have a place that's closer to them. So we're going to be trying out some of this new technology, uh, and we're going to use us. At, we are going to be our own guinea pig for a while, so I'm pretty excited about that. And like I said, it comes at a perfect time because it, sure, um, because it allows us to not be limited by my, my personal physical limitations. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about this. Just want to let you guys know that, that that'll happen from time to time. Because, you know, I mean, the truth is it's not about me. It's about the teaching that comes from this book. You know what I'm saying? Like whether or not I'm sitting on a stool right here or you're watching me sitting on a stool. Everybody look over there. Right there. I try to catch myself looking at me. <laughs> if I do it really... But like our technology is catching up. I, can't, I used to be able to catch me, but I can't catch me anymore. And, and listen, truth is, five minutes after I start talking, everybody who's not sitting in the first five rows between these two poles, stop looking at me personally, and you're all watching the screens anyway. 
know what I mean? So we're just going to take advantage of that um, so that, because I, I don't want to have to stop preaching sooner than what, um, like, if, as long as I'm alive, I still want to be able to do this. You know what I mean? And so I, I just need to, uh, anyway, so we're excited about it. I want to let you know about it. Two months ago, we started a series. And um, uh, we, we started by reading a chapter in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, where it said that what my job is, my job as a pastor is to get really good at helping you get really good at loving God and others, serving God and others. And when we do those two things, we'll grow in relationships with God and with others. So uh, we started a three-week series on the different environments that we have as a church family to facilitate your personal growth outside of the weekend services. Uh, then uh, two weeks ago, we started a series on what it looked like to serve well. We started by looking at Jesus as the best example of service. <clears throat> We're not saying that just because we are Christians, but uh, if Jesus really is God who showed up in human history, then if anybody uh, uh, who've e who's ever been born ha had a right to be served, it was him. And he said himself that I did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for, for other people. At the Last Supper, he got on his hands and knees and watched the washed the grime out of the toes of the disciples who wore sandals on dirt roads all day. And he said, if you call me master and Lord, which I am, can get on my hands and knees and wash your feet, how much more willing should you be to wash each other's feet? So we said, this whole idea, and, and then Jesus, it, the whole series is summed up by what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, and that is that greatness is determined by the number of people you're willing to put above you, not the number of people that you're able to get above, Right? But leadership in our culture is about the number of people that serve you. Jesus said, the way that I look at it is that greatness is the number of people you're willing to serve. And there's three different arenas, areas of our life in which we're called to serve. The first is our family. We talked about that last week. The second is out where to serve those who are part of the household of faith, as Paul put it in one place. Those who are in the family of God, as it's also referred to. Uh, those who are followers of Jesus, how we're to serve each other. The next week, we're going to be wrapping up this series on what it looks like to serve those who are distant from God. Now, there are some families that are awesome at serving people. Some families uh, are, are, are great at hospitalities. Other families are not. My mom and dad were really good at having people over, but they always wanted to know everybody who was coming over. Some families aren't even like that. If they've got a friend of a friend of a friend of their kid who got kicked out, they can sleep in their basement. You know what I'm talking about? Like some families are awesome at hospitality. Some families are healthy. Some families are unhealthy. So when I talk about that, you know, when I, when I mention things like we are part of the family of God, Jesus, uh, the scripture says that to those who receive Jesus, to those people, God gives the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So not everybody's a child of God, but those for sure who turn from sin and accept that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only substitute payment that God will accept on our behalf on judgment day, become a part of the family of God. Paul put it this place, uh, put it this way in another, another passage of scripture. He says, if you turn from sin, and sin is defined as our disobedience to God and our selfishness towards our fellow man, if we turn from that and accept that what Jesus did is the only thing that will rescue us from our sin and begin following Jesus, it says that we receive the adoption as sons and daughters of God. So when I talk about us being a family, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are family members. For a lot of us, that's not a good thing. If I say that we're to love each other the way siblings love each other, you'd go, I don't think that means what you think it means to me. 
because some of our families are dysfunctional. Some of our families were only about our families. Some of our families spent more time with their friends than their family. You know what I'm saying? Some of our, when I think of like a family that was really good at taking care of family, friends, and then including guests, I think of the Greers. When I was in middle school, I was a seventh grader. Back then, sixth graders were still elementary school. So it was just seventh and eighth was junior high. Uh, uh, Lynn Greer was like, even as a ninth grader, was kind of like the stud of our school. Like even seniors would like save, save a seat at the table for Lynn. Because Lynn was like that ninth grade kid who dominated in every sport. I mean, like when you're a freshman and you're getting playing time on varsity, you got game. Am I right? Not all freshmen get that. So he, he's running in like cool circles. And then I get an invitation to go to my very first party ever to get go to where I wasn't wearing a Burger King crown, right? <laughs> this is like a first real party. And Lynn Greer's hosting it. And so it's the Greer's are having a party. And the Greer's, they're famous for their parties. So I get invited. And I check with all the other seventh graders. I'm the only Sevy that's being invited to this party. So I think I'm hot snot, right? I'm all punk. I'm like, yeah. You, hey, where are you going Friday night? You going to the Greer's? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm hanging out with Lynn. I'd be like, whoa, right? like I'm going to Lynn's house for his party. And I get there, and I realize why I've been invited. I've been invited because Lynn has a little sister named Betty who has a crush on me. <laughs> but Betty's a sixth grader. She's a child. <laughs> so much younger than me. Remember when you were a seventh grader, and sixth graders were like so much, remember that? Like you're like, I'm so glad I'm not one year younger because I was a child last year. <laughs> this year I'm a man. Right? So I wasn't interested in girls yet anyway. I mean, I was a late bloom. I was 12, uh, turning 13. I'm in seventh grade. <clears throat> I had some friends who were already shaving, but they were, I mean, they were awesome. I wished I could shave, but I just wasn't into girls yet. Now, Betty was pretty. Right? She was sweet. But like I said, I just, so there, I went into the living room and I realized, I don't think I should be hanging out in here because this is a high school party, right? And I go into other rooms of the house. I'm like, I don't think my parents would be cool if I was at this party at all. This is before cell phones, so I was kind of stuck. And uh, so I just ended up hanging out in the kitchen with all the adults, which now I look back on it, I'm, I'm glad that I did that because it probably kept me from going down a whole nother trail. And so uh, Betty was in the kitchen with me, and then they're playing truth or dare, and I didn't want them to say, I didn't want to say truth, because then somebody would have said, do you think Betty's pretty? And I would have had to say, yeah, because it's like, there's no, you can't, it's impossible to lie in that game, apparently. It's like, <laughs> it's like truth or dare, oh, don't ask me, don't ask me. It's like, that's like the foolproof thing that gets past everybody's like BS radar, right? Like, it's just like foolproof gets right past it. So I said dare, which was stupid. Because then the, the dare, Lynn came up with a, the dare. I had to run around the house holding hands with Betty. And then we got back around to the front door. I had to kiss her. And I was like, no, I want to do that. And they're like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. So I ran around the house holding hands with Betty. I'm, like, I'm running probably like Napoleon Dynamite like this. <laughs> if you haven't seen that movie, you don't love God. <laughs> it's one of the best movies ever made. If you like sarcasm. Uh, if you like The Office, you'll like it. If you don't like The Office, you know, always went over your head, Napoleon Dynamite will too. Anyway, so I run around the house, we get to the end, and, they're all, and I'm looking at her, you know, and Betty's like smiling, she's like, oh, she probably didn't do what I just did, but, and I'm, and, and I was like, kiss her, kiss her, kiss her, kiss her, kiss her, and I, and I didn't, I didn't want to kiss her, and I, I, I stood up against peer pressure and punched her in the face. <laughs> no, I didn't, I just pulled her hair really hard and ran. No, I didn't do that either. I, I, did, I didn't kiss her. I was too, too afraid. Now, th here, here's the thing I wanted to bring up is that, that at their party, you could tell who was family, right? Because a family, like they, you, could, you could tell who Greers were. 
Uh, then you could tell they had different levels of friends. They had a lot of friends there, and there were some friends that were closer to being family than other friends were. And then they had invited guests, people who weren't really good friends yet, people like me. And they did a bad job of making me feel comfortable enough to even want to be friends. Does that make sense? And churches are like that. Some churches think that their whole church is supposed to be just about their family. Some churches are better at making, you know, it's like we're cool with family and, and then friends as long as they look like family. And then some churches are like, okay, we'll do the friends and family and guests as long as guests look this way, act this way, don't do this and don't, right? So some, some families are better at this than other families. And some churches are better at this than other churches. I'm not here to throw rocks at any of the churches any of us grew up in. What I'm not here to talk about is those of us who are followers of Jesus who are part of this church family. So those I'm not talking to are those who aren't. So if you're a friend, we're glad you're here. Hopefully you've been coming back because you feel like we're glad you're here. And if you are a guest, you're brand, you're brand new, you're a first-timer, a second-timer. If you're a second-timer, we're glad the first experience wasn't so bad you didn't come back, right? And so we want to keep the funnel open at the top and keep welcoming new guests, hoping that they become friends, and then giving opportunities for friends to become part of the family. But today I'm talking to family about us getting better at what God's called, called us to do. And I think that sometimes when we look at the size of our family now, we feel like what different, we, we say to ourselves, what difference does it make whether or not I pull my own weight? Like, why should I, like, that's not going to make a difference if I sign up for Life Group or not. Who cares? They're never going to notice. It's just me. It's just one person. It's just one couple. It's just one family. Who cares if I serve or not? I'm just going to fly under the radar. I'm just going to keep coming, Right? And we'll see how it goes. But what difference does it make if I serve? What difference is like, if I don't give my $100 this week, who cares? Like this, and the truth is, the lights aren't going to go out if you don't. And the church is going to keep going if you don't sign up for life groups. And somebody's still going to be putting together the communication cards if you don't serve. What I want to talk about today is, but what does happen when you don't do what family's supposed to do? That's what I'm talking about. I want to talk about the power that one person has to affect everything all of us are doing. And there's a couple of stories in the Bible that illustrate the power of one person and their impact on the mission of the entire family, the entire congregation. The first story, there's a lot of stories, but I picked two. The first was in Joshua, the book of Joshua. Children of Israel had been uh, escorted out of Egypt by Moses. If you saw the, the DreamWorks picture, Prince of Egypt happened just like that. There's some differences, but that's the general gist. Uh, they get to the promised land, but then they've been whining the whole way, and then they still said, I don't think God says, well, you know what? It's not going to be you guys wander around in the desert. When all of you guys older than 20 have died off, then I'm going to let your kids have it since you guys were whiny babies the whole time. So when the whiny babies had all died off, uh, God, God, God brings them back. They cross the Jordan River. The first city that they come to is Jericho. Now, Jericho knew that God had promised their father Abraham that land. Um, uh, Jericho uh, standing in the way, and then they, they defeat Jericho. But God had said this to him. He said, Jericho belongs to me. The first, the first fruits belongs to me. I get the first of everything. I'm God, and he has a right to do that. I don't, I'm not a jerk to expect that my kids respect me more than any other adult. That they deferred, that I'm the number one adult in their life. I'm their dad. I'm not a jerk to expect to be first in their life. Especially when I've lived my life putting them first in my life. Does that make sense? I'm not a jerk to expect to be first. 
God's not a jerk to expect to be first. And he didn't start this with Joshua and the rest of the children of Israel attacking Jericho. He didn't start this with Moses. He didn't even start this with Abraham. He didn't start, he started this all the way back in the garden with Abraham, excuse me, with Adam and Eve and their kids, Caleb and, 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 and uh, excuse me, uh, Cain and Abel. That's where it started. Because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and Cain's wasn't. The Bible says that Cain, uh, Abel gave God the first fruits and the best of what he had. And then it said that Cain gave some of what he had. Now, it might have even been proportionately the same, but what it was was the leftovers. It was what he could do without. And it was that reason that Cain was not accepted and Abel was. Cain ended up getting jealous over this and killing his brother Abel. The very first murder comes from the very first family. And the issue is simply because Cain didn't want to change his ways. So God said, the first belongs to me. It's, a recogni- it's an act of worship. I recognize that all that I have comes from God. And the way that I recognize that all that I have from God is I give to God first right off the top, not the leftovers. So that's what God does with the children of Israel. He says, I don't want you to touch a donkey. I don't want you to touch a, a, a cow, a camel, a sheep, a goat, a candlestick, a jacket, a blanket, a tent, a piece of gold coin. Everything in Jericho belongs to me. Joshua tells everybody, everybody get it? Please, serious, this is... And one guy said, what difference does it make? There's hundreds of thousands of soldiers. I'm just one guy. If one guy doesn't get with the mission, what difference does it make? How, how could one person negatively impact everything? And so this guy's name is Achan. He's only mentioned in the whole Bible because the only place he's ever mentioned is when it's talking about him thinking that he's just one guy. What difference does it make? So they beat Jericho. They come to the next city, which is a little tribal village. It's not even a walled city like Jericho was. Named Ai. It had two letters, A and I. So if it's, maybe it's just I, I don't know how you say the name of Ai, but I say just Ai. And there's a small, so he just sends 3,000 warriors. He doesn't send the hundreds of thousands of warriors. He just sends 3,000. And this little teeny tiny tribal community of tent dwellers without walls kicks their butt, and 36 men died that day. Joshua comes before God, and he goes, what happened? I thought you said, what happened? They said, I told you that Jericho belonged to me. But one person took what didn't belong to him. They found it, it was Achan. And Achan said, yes, I didn't think it mattered. It's just one guy. What difference does it make? Same thing happens in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we are going to be looking at this. For the sake of time, I need to read it quickly. So you got this church in Corinth, which is in Greece. Things are going great. It's growing. They're connecting people who are distant from God to faith in His Son, Jesus. It's going awesome. And there's one dude, just one dude, who's living in sin, right? Just one guy, one guy who's a Christian, one guy who's a part of the family of God, who's just said, you know, it's just one dude, it's just one issue, not that big of a deal. And everybody else is like, okay, I guess it's not that big of a deal. Paul addresses that in chapter 5. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. A pagan is somebody who's just like distant from God, God's not even in the realm of their thinking, I am told that there's a man in your church who's living in sin with his stepmother. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of your church. I will be present with you in spirit. So, you, so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan um, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. So that his what will be destroyed? Not him, so that the sinful nature, the pattern of rebellion against God will be destroyed. 
And he himself will be what? Forever damned? No, so that he can what? Be saved on the day that the Lord returns. So the goal was not to excommunicate this guy permanently. It's, you know, he's out. He can't be one of us. No, 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 no. The issue was as long as he, as a follower of Jesus, was a member of a church family, he was afforded a certain amount of spiritual protection from the consequences of sin that a Christian is not afforded when they're not a member of a local church family. And so what he was saying is, as long as you allow him to be a part of this church family, by the way, it's corrupting all of you guys because now you guys are becoming proud of sin. When pagans are being shocked by this, surely the Christians were shocked by this at first. Then they're like, well, it's not that big of a deal. And look, look how much God loves us. God loves everybody. See how much God is love, God is love, God is love. And God is love, but God is also holy. Are you with me? And so while he was a member of this church family, he had a certain amount of spiritual protection from the consequences of sin that Paul said, until this guy suffers the consequences of his sin, he's not going to feel the weight of it and turn from it and get his life back on track. So you guys need to remove him from your church membership for a time till he hits rock bottom. But the goal was not for him to stay at bottom, it's for him to bounce. And so 2 Corinthians comes along and Paul says, I heard the dude hit rock bottom and bounced. You need to go after him and bring him back. The goal is not exclusion. The goal has always been restoration. Bring this guy back in. We don't want to keep him out. The goal is just always for his heart to get right with God. It's not about who's in and who's out. It's about heart. That's what it's always been about. It's been about, it's been about heart. Keep going. <clears throat> Verse 6. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast... By removing this wicked person from among you, then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, sacrificed himself for us to make us holy and pure without sin, so live this way. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread, the old ways of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread, the new way of living with, uh, of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave the whole world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat dinner with them. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge who of those who are inside the church who are sinning because it contaminates all of us. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. Now, John chapter 3, verse 16 says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whoever believes in him will not perish, spend eternity separated from God in hell, but will have eternal life because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to rescue the world through him. So Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came to rescue the world. Condemnation comes on judgment day later. So we don't throw rocks at, listen, I don't expect people who are not followers of Jesus to live like they're followers of Jesus. We don't condemn people who live in sin who are not followers of Jesus. We don't even condemn each other for that, but we do confront each other for that because the truth is, when you look at yourself in a crowd, you think you don't stand out. But when God looks at the crowd, he looks at you. And what the individual does is as important as what the congregation does. Do you get what I'm saying? What you as a Christian does is as important to God as what our entire church does. And the truth, according to the Bible, is when one Christian 
who's a follower of Jesus in this church family, disengages, the entire church is derailed. And it would be better if you're a Christian who's not going to live on mission with Jesus and has no intention to, it would be better for the rest of us for you to go find another church to do nothing at. Because what we're doing is more important than you. It's more important than me. This church exists to give every one of my friends and neighbors one opportunity to turn from sin and follow Jesus. And that's more important than my own selfishness or my own comfort. And if you're a follower of Jesus and if you're not willing to leverage your life to help us bring more people into the family of God, get out of the way. I don't want you to get out of the way. I want you to get on the stinking team. But quit sitting there like a bump on a log doing nothing. Now, I'm only talking to those who are part of our church family. The truth is, we need you. You don't think you matter because you're one out of 1,100 or one out of whatever it is. It doesn't even matter. You matter to God because he's the one who rescued you to put you on mission on a team with the rest of us. And if you don't like this team, just find another team. But God didn't rescue you from sin so you can spend the rest of your life making your nest comfortable. The goal of your life is not collecting seashells in the Bahamas. Although that would be really fun for a week or two. <laughs> but not to give the rest of my life for it. Can you imagine me standing on Judgment Day and God going, Sean, I gave you 20 years after retirement. What did you do with it? And all I have to show him is a bucket of stupid shells? What could be better for me to leverage my life for than to give every one of my friends one chance to know and to follow Jesus? My career isn't my goal. My career pays my bills. My goal is to leverage everything, even my career, for the glory of God and the good of you. I want to walk into heaven not with a bucket of seashells, but with a whole bowload of my friends. You know what I mean? You can clap for that because they're your friends we're talking about. It's your brother-in-law. You're like, I don't know if I want him to get saved. <laughs> he don't deserve it. Neither do you. Neither do I. Right? No one deserves it. That's why we quit treating each other like crap. I didn't deserve it either. So I'm not going to make you earn it. You know what I mean? This whole idea of the individual being as important as the whole is highlighted in Second excuse me, in First Corinthians chapter twelve. In First Corinthians chapter twelve, we're not going to read it all, but you guys who are in life groups, you're going to be able to dive into this a little bit deeper because I'm having to skim over it right now. But First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse seven says that a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so that we can help each other. So God gives us our gifts for whose benefit, ours or others? Others. What other? Think of the ramifications of this. If you're a follower of Jesus, this means that your talents, your skills, your abilities, your money, your opportunities, your education, your, your, your talent, all of these things were given to you by God, not for your glory, but for His and the good of others. That's what these things were given to us for. Verse 11, it is one in the same Holy Spirit who distributes all of these gifts, and He alone decides how much, what, which, which gift each person should have. So who decided what you should get? God, the personality, the talents, the abilities, the skills, the financial resources, all of these things were given to you by God 
for his glory and good of others. And we say, well, I will if I get more. I'll give God time if I can find more time. I'll give God more resources if I can earn more resources. I'll give God more talent if I can get better at it. You know what I'm saying? We think that we want more. If I had more, if I could have more, then I would give more. No, you wouldn't. Because Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And if you're not faithful with little, you won't be faithful with much. So if you're not being faithful with what you've already got, why would God give you more to be unfaithful with? Does that even make sense? You keep asking God for more, but you're not even being obedient with what he's already given you. He's not going to answer that prayer. It's unbiblical. You can't pray against the Bible. He's not going to violate his own word. You know who gets more? Those who are more faithful with what they've already been given. Does that make sense? Which, which employee do you give more opportunity? The employee who did better at his lower level of service. You're not going to give the laziest employee greater opportunity for influence. You're going to give the hardest working one. Yes or no? And you're not going to ask your eight-year-old to drive a car. You're not going to give them responsibility they can't handle. Why would God be a worse father to you than you would be to your kids? Right? He says we're like a, a body in verse 12. That a body has many different parts, but each part exists for the, rest of the, the benefit of the rest of the whole body. Like who does my pinky exist for? For the body or for the pinky? The body. And when the pinky does its job, guess what the rest of the body does? Takes care of the pinky. The whole idea of one for all and all for one, musketeers didn't come up with that. Jesus did. Right? It doesn't matter who you are. One person backs out. It derails all of us. So if you told me I was going to lose a part of my body, which part would I choose to lose? I've, I've thought about this. Oh. <laughs> the hairy said, that's a good one because that grows back. That's, an, that's a genius back there in that row. Because I thought of my pinky toe. <laughs> you cut, ah, who else thought of pinky toe? Raise your hand. Pinky toe, yeah. But if you cut off my pinky toe tomorrow, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> no, the rest of my whole body. So what percentage of my body mass is a pink, pinky toe? <laughs> now you're sizing me up. Stop. 0.01%. But if I lost 0.01% of my body mass, the rest of my entire body would stop and take care of it. Yes or no? That's the way it's supposed to be in a church family. What does this tangibly look like? We're going to go to Acts for this. If you've got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Jesus starts a church with 12 disciples that grows to 120 disciples. Then those 120 disciples after Jesus ascends into heaven get out and have their first worship experience on a weekend and preach. And 3,000 people turned from sin and began following Jesus. They went from a church of 120 to 3,120 in one week. Bro, I tell you, they had growth issues, right? They had scalability issues. They, that's, they, they struggled with that, with systems and processes. So what did it look like for them to take care of each other, to serve each other the way God's called us to serve each other? When there's 120 people, that's easy. Everybody knows everybody's names. I, can, I know the needs in 120 people. I don't know the, the needs of 1,200 people, right? Well, they didn't know that. You know that when they had 3,120 people, not everybody got FaceTime with Peter, James, and John. 
or, Matt, or Matthew or Tom, or, you know, any of those. Like, they didn't get FaceTime with everybody. So how did they scale up so that they could keep being what the church is supposed to be? We get a beautiful picture of that in verses 42 to 48. Let's read it. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. And that's what we're doing right now. We're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching right now when I'm reading what the apostles actually wrote. Right? That's what we're doing. Devoting the apostle, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders to authenticate that what they were saying really was from God. Now, I'm reading the apostles' teachings out of the writings of the apostles' teachings. While they were actually teaching it the first time, it wasn't written down anywhere. So people were like, how do we know this is really from God? Look at the blind dude. Say, blind dude, see. He could see. Boom. Right? <laughs> Hashtag boom. That's, that's how you know what I'm saying comes from God. Crippled dudes stand up and walk. Right? Deaf guys start hearing. Mute guys start speaking. The miracles and wonders were authenticate that the apostles' teaching really was authenticated by God. I don't do miraculous wonders and signs as long as I'm teaching what's already been authenticated. Now, if homeboy's going to write his own book of the Bible or start preaching stuff that ain't in this book, I best be making crippled people run. Or you should fire my butt, one or the other. Stick to the book and we're okay, right? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Miraculous signs and wonders were done to authenticate their teaching. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's what we do on the weekends. We meet together in one place, and we share everything that we have. We do that at the end of every service. We take up an offering. Why do we do this? Not to support the ministries of Grace Church. My wife and I give God, give to God generously, sacrificially, and proportionately. And if it was to give to the ministries of Grace Church, it wouldn't make any sense because I'm an employee of Grace Church. My salary comes from Grace Church. So people say, well, why would you give to the offering? Because that's just recycling the money right back into the same pot that it came out of. Because I don't give to support the ministries of Grace Church. I give to worship God and to put Him to give God my first. My giving isn't about this church. My giving is about my relationship with God. I just do it through a local church. And while it might sound like semantics to you, it matters because it... it, it, it it, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It informs the direction of my heart. I don't give to support a church. I give to worship God. My giving isn't about this church building. My giving is about the glory of God in my life. It's about me putting God first in my finances. It's about me recognizing that 100% of what I have comes from God. And my recognition of that is that God gets first cut. So that's what they did. They get together every weekend. They worshiped God with their resources. They pulled the resources together for what? For the mission that they were all on, to meet the needs of those who were there. That's why we get up and act. When we take up our offering every single weekend here at Grace Church, what do we say? You've been here more than once. You know this. If you showed up today, you don't have any groceries in your pantry, right? If you're about to have your power, shut off. Don't have any oil in your tank for heat, or your kids need shoes. You came to the right church. Why? That's what we're here for. The more we have, not the more we keep. The more we have, the more we serve. If we're going to give everybody an opportunity to find Jesus within 10-minute driving of their house, bro, listen, we, I can't do this all on my own. We need you. We got a big, stinking, hairy job to get done. And none of us are capable of doing it all on our own. How many people do we need on the team? Everybody. Everybody all in. 
or the very real consequence is that there are real people who really are living right now who will spend eternity separated from God. That's what's at stake with what we're doing. That's what's at stake. That's why we're doing this. Keep going. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And when they didn't have any more to share, (laughs) they sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. How many Christians are like this? Don't say none. We've got some in our church. We do. You're sitting in a room full of generous people who are carrying the weight of all of the selfish people. It's true. Is that the way it's intended to be? Now listen, I'm talking to those who are Christians who are already part of this church family. Okay? So like you're saying, if you're a guest, I'm talking to us about how we can get better at taking care of you. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? Keep reading. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in each other's homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And when they worshiped together on the weekends, when they gave generously and proportionately to God through their local church, when they met in each other's homes throughout the week in life groups and served each other, they enjoyed the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being rescued from sin. When everybody did everything they could for the mission of the team, they stopped counting the number of people who are being rescued from sin and brought into the family of God. That's what we're here for. That's what God's called us to. That's why you need to be in a life group. That's why you need to sign up to serve on one of our service teams. That's why you need to give. That's why it matters when you don't show up on the weekend. Because when you go to your car, you're going to stop and say hi to somebody that nobody else thought to say hi to before you went to your car. And that's why they're going to come back again. And it's going to be their fifth time coming back that they finally turn from sin and follow Jesus. And they'd have never got to the fifth time had you not talked to them on the second time. You matter. And what we're doing matters enough that you need to get in the game. All in. And if you don't trust this church family, just pick another one. It ain't about us. That's why I can say if you live closer to Dedham, you need to leave Grace Church and go to Encounter Church. Their first practice service is ne- their second practice service is next Sunday. Why would I ask people to leave Grace Church and go to Encounter Church, which we're helping get started in Dedham? Because it isn't about us. It's about Jesus. And the truth is people who are distant from God in Dedham won't drive to Avon but they'll go to Encounter Church. And if you live closer to there, your neighbors won't come here, but they'll go there. So I don't want you to leave Grace Church. The selfish side of me wants to keep everybody, but it ain't about me. And if I'm asking you to be generous with your resources, then I as pastor have to be generous with ours. So Grace Church is going first. Leave and go help other churches that live closer to you do a better job of bringing people to faith in Jesus because it ain't about Grace Church. It's about Jesus. It's about every one of the people that you love and care about having the easiest possible path to find them. And I know that it might not be Grace Church. And I've got to be okay with that. Because it ain't about me. It's about Jesus. But everybody's got to get busy. When you walked in, you were handed a communication card that has one of these. Here's three low-hanging fruit. Three easiest paths to get involved and serve. Pick one. Give us your information. Show up. Write on your communication card, I'm all in. Test God. 
Say no to something you were going to buy with Visa so that you can give a little bit extra to helping Encounter Church get started. We're on the hook for a big chunk of change to help them out. If you live in Dedham, don't be here next weekend. Go to the middle school. At what time? 10.30 for that service. Now, if you don't live closer to there, don't. Help us reach your neighbors here. But if you live there, go. It's okay. No one here is going to be mad because it ain't about us. It really isn't. It's about you following Jesus and giving every one of your friends and family one chance to follow him before they die. Is there anything of greater worth to live your life for than that? Let's pray. God changes from the inside out. Help us to stop being selfish. Stop worrying about everything's going to affect us. It's ruining our marriages. It's ruining our relationships at work. It's ruining our friendships with our roommates. It's ruined. Our selfishness has ruined every good thing you've ever tried to do in our lives. Help us to be willing to try it different. Help us to make tough financial choices so that we can create enough financial margins so that we can start putting... God, help you to come before AT&T. Help you to come before Visa. Help you to come... Let you come first. God, in our friendships, help us to be more concerned where they will spend eternity than whether or not they like us. Not to be jerks or anything like that, but our friendships, they, we really might be the only one that they know who's following Jesus. So the next time they bring up the conversation, help us to not be afraid to keep the conversation going, if nothing else. Help us to quit treating our relationship with you as just a spectator sport for an hour and five minutes on Sundays. Help us to get off the bench. You've given us gifts, abilities, talents, personalities, resources, and you gave us these things not to make our own lives more comfortable, but to leverage our lives for more of your glory and for more of good of others. Help us to do that through this church family. Move in the hearts of those who call themselves Christians to join us, to be all in, and to help us give everybody in eastern Massachusetts one opportunity to turn from sin and follow Jesus in a lifetime. I pray that the next 20 years of our lives would blow our minds, and we ask this in your great name and for your great glory. Amen.